Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Right. And go ahead and take your Bibles, turn to the book of Numbers, chapter number 13. While you're getting that all squared away, uh, Ms. Shannon, you can go ahead and put that. We're going to sing one together. Uh, we're not going to have single special music this morning, but y'all are going to be the special music. So let's sing this. Y'all know it. Thou art worthy. We'll sing it together. Uh, we are here this morning to praise the Lord. We're here to worship the Lord. Uh, we're here to hear from the Lord, uh, but I tell you, uh, take the opportunity while you're here to praise Him while you still can. Amen? So let's praise the Lord together in song. We'll sing this one together and ask the Lord to meet with us. <clears throat> thou art worthy, Thou art worthy, sing out, Thou art worthy, O Amen. Isn't that true? To receive glory, honor, and power, Thou art worthy, O Lord. He's worthy, for Thou hast created Thou hast created, Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are created. Thou art worthy, O He is worthy to be praised. Amen. God has been exceptionally good to you. Amen. So, well, Brother Paul, you know, you don't really know what I'm going through. You're right, I don't, uh, but God does. And I know this, if you're here this morning, uh, you are in the, you're in the group of the most blessed people in the world. Amen. We see things, uh, we see things through our own experience, and I understand that. But if we could just get a picture of those who are suffering the greatest this morning, then we would understand, wow, God really has, even through my difficult times, even through my trials, God really has been exceptionally good to me. If you're here this morning in a Bible-believing church where the gospel is not only preached but is freely given, with no fear, amen, then you are exceptionally blessed by God this morning. Amen. What a blessing it is to be in the Lord's house, and what a privilege it is to know that I'm saved. Amen. I'm so glad that I know that heaven is going to be my home. There will be a great reunion over there with loved ones who've gone on, and there will be a final face-to-face -face meeting with the one who saved me. 
And that's where I'm headed. This morning, if you're here and you say, well, Brother Paul, that's not really me. I don't know 100% this morning if I'm saved. Well, let me just give you some good news. You can know. You can know, you can know, and you can know today. Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord for His goodness. Numbers chapter 13 this morning. I had thought of, uh, I had I, looked at a thought there in Psalm chapter 27. I was, really, that's exactly where I planned to go. And this morning, the Lord changed my direction to, uh, to a message I preached some, some years and years past. I don't really know why it came to my mind other than just I believe it was the Lord uh, here in Numbers chapter 13. So I want to give you what the Lord's put in my heart this morning. Uh, it won't be anything new or anything deep, but I hope it'll be an encouragement. I want to encourage you this morning. I do. I, I want to be encouraging. <laughs> Amen. Now, sometimes uh, as a preacher, uh, especially as a young preacher, I would try to go in and preach encouraging messages, and when I'd sit down, I'd go, man, that, that really took a turn on me. <laughs> you know, I wasn't really trying to preach a, a, a tough message, and I don't think that'll be the case this morning, but I do want you to be encouraged. But I will say this, if you're, this morning, if you're here and, and you're in unrepented sin, you're probably not going to be encouraged. You're probably going to be discouraged. To, to stop doing those things you're doing and maybe encourage to start doing the right things and get right with God. But let me, give you some, uh, let me give you some advice, some unsolicited advice. If you want God to give you joy, amen, you want God to give you peace, you should walk in the Spirit. Peace that passeth understanding, joy unspeakable, full of glory, those things we talk about, those things don't really exist in the life of a Christian that is in rebellion to God. Because those things are, are they're, they're gifts and fruits of the Spirit, peace and joy, and they come by walking in the Spirit. So I'm not going to preach to you on sin this morning, I don't think. But I want to tell you this, if you're here this morning right now, you know in your life you have unrepented sin, that you are not relinquishing to God, why don't you go ahead and get rid of that? Why don't you go ahead and give that up to God so that you can receive the fullness of a life lived for the Lord? Amen. Numbers chapter 13, we will not read the whole chapter, but I am going to read a number of verses. Before we do, I want to kind of give you an idea of what's going on here in this passage. This is, of course, during the time after the Lord has come and taken Israel out of their bondage in the land of Egypt. And I will say this, when they were in Egypt, they were in bondage. Now they began to look back on their time in Egypt, maybe with a little bit of rose-tinted glasses, but it was a lie. They were being killed and beaten, and they were slaves. It was not a good time for Israel in Egypt. Amen. But God rescued them out of that. And the whole purpose of God pulling them out from that land was to then take them to a promised land that He had for them. Amen. Now, the promised land is not a picture of heaven in terms of a spiritual picture. It's a picture of the, per it's the perfect will of God in your life. You being right with God, where God wants you. Amen. That's the promised land. It's the it's the fulfilled life that God wants for you. That's what it was for them, and that's what it is for you as a Christian as well, that God has a desired place for you. Amen. He has a desired life for you, a promised land, if you will. And that's what He had for the children of Israel. And they finally came there to the, the borders of the place where they were promised, this place that God said He was going to give them. He called it a land that floweth with milk and honey. And in Numbers chapter 13, they came to that place and Moses picked him out 12 spies, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Moses gave them instruction to go in to spy out the land of Canaan. And he sent those 12 men in and for 40 days 
They wandered through the area of Canaan, the promised land that God had chosen for them, and they had finally returned after 40 days in this land to give a report to the children of Israel of what they had seen. In verse number 25, it tells us, as they returned from searching the land after 40 days, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel into the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. By way of introduction, looking at their testimony, if you will, of the land that per the Lord's instructions they had come to and Moses had sent them in to spy out the land and give a report of it, their first part of their report as they spoke to Moses there in verse number 27, very simply said, they told him, we came to the land, surely it floweth with milk and honey. So it was a flowing land. It was a land that the, the Bible says over and over again, you can find that phrase, floweth with milk and honey. Now, that may have been a figurative statement that is simply saying it is overflowing with goodness, right? But if we look at it a little more specifically with a creative mind, you know, we think about flowing with milk. Well, we know they're going to go in and they're going to have cities they didn't build. They're going to have vineyards they didn't plant. They're going to have cattle they didn't raise. So that tells me that it is literally flowing with cattle, which is where the milk comes from, that is just overflowing with. I mean, they're going to have more than they could ever need for free. Right? It's flowing. It's flowing with honey. I, I imagine that there must have been trees, and in my mind's eye, thinking about this land. Because let me just say this, there is nothing better than what God has for you. Amen. There was no land on earth better for the children of Israel that would even come close to what God had for them. And to sell it, he told them, it flows with milk. And it flows with honey. So I picture trees where hives have been set up that the honey is flowing out so much that it's running down the bark onto the ground. Amen. That there's literally just honey sitting there and no one's taking it. And it's just for them to go in and to have it. It's a, a flowing land that is so good that God has for them this flowing land. But he also said this. He said this is the fruit of it. There in the last part of verse 27. And that fruit was so big and so amazing that back there in verse number 23, it said they came, up to the, they came up unto the brook of Eschol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. Now, y'all ever gone to Walmart and bought some grapes or wherever you go to grocery shop and you get a cluster of grapes? Sometimes it's very full and the grapes are very big and, and sometimes they're kind of small, you know, depending on what time of year it is or where they're coming from, they vary. Sometimes they're super sweet and sometimes they're a little sour, Right? I don't think there were any sour grapes in Canaan. I think they were not only sweet, but they were enormous. They were so big that the verse says this, they bear it between two upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. So specifically, one cluster, not many clusters, one cluster of grapes was so big that they had to carry it on a staff between two men. I like grapes. I'd like to get in on some of those grapes. In fact, when I think about it, I almost picture them, I mean, if you've got to think about something big enough, the two guys have got to carry it, I almost picture them like they're, you know, watermelon-sized grapes. You know, I'm talking, you say, well, that's crazy. Well, you know what? We're talking about a land that God had for them. 
We're talking about something that was crazy. It was, it was better than they could ever have imagined to the point that they were like gathering stuff up. Man, we got to take this back and show it to all the children of Israel. It was a flowing land. It was a fruitful land with these grapes that were so big in the cluster they had to carry them on between two. And I imagine when they came walking up that people were like, whoa, look at those grapes. And there's kids going, mom, can I have some of those grapes? Amen. And that's me over there. Can I have just one? It's a fruitful and flowing land. But we know as we read on down through that their testimony did not end speaking of how fruitful and how flowing it was. But in verse number 28, they, they, they threw in a real ugly word. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites, the Amorites, dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses. Now, Caleb was one of those 12 spies that were sent into the land. You can read about them back there in the first 10, 15 verses. I believe it's in verse number 6 where it says, Caleb of the tribe of Judah, Caleb the son of Jephunneh. So he was one of those 12 men. And these, these 12 men have come forward, and I believe 10 of them are the ones speaking in verses 27, 28, and 29, especially there in 28 and 29, I believe. Now, Caleb might have been chiming in some on talking about those fruit and talking about the, the, the milk and the honey and all those things. But when it comes down to verse number 28, and they start talking negatively about how strong the people are, how high the walls are of the city and all those things, and all the different the people that live there, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and all them that says this, Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up these two words, an evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are, a, are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. They said it was a fearful land, a land of giants, a land that is ready to swallow up anyone that would come into it. The people were strong, the cities were walled and great, and it was just too much, too daunting, too dangerous. And when they saw the land and then they looked on themselves, they said, we are as grasshoppers. We can't do it. But we know that not only was this land described as fruitful and was it described as flowing and, and fearful, but then Caleb, in the midst of all this, in verse 30 as we just read, Caleb was faithful. He said this, let's go up at once. Isn't that what he said? Let us go up at once. Now that, that phrase, at once, it means right now. Let's not talk about it. Let's not think about it. Let's not take a month and pray about it. Let's go right now and possess it. So, well, is it wrong to take a month to pray about it? No, 
unless God has already given you an answer. At which point, yes. Once God has given the answer, it's not time to pray about it. It's time to go at once. And God gave them this answer when He spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. Amen. He said, I'm going to give you a land. Go and take it. And now they're there at the land, and Caleb said, it's time now. It's not time to stand around and think and fret and worry. It's time to go right now and to take that land at once and possess it. And Caleb said this, we are well able to overcome it. Caleb in the Bible is an example, very clearly an example of an overcomer. He is an overcomer. He is one who is not afraid of the dangers. He recognizes that the dangers exist, but he is not afraid of them because he knows that in spite of the dangers, he can overcome them. Amen. He is brave. He is courageous that God... And why is he so brave and courageous? Because he knew that God would deliver it into their hands despite any and all opposition they could and would, if they would go, overcome it. So this morning, we understand as we look around us, surely in the day in which we are living, we are living in a land of giants. Now I know that the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world, and that is a fact. God is greater than the devil. God is greater than every evil, wicked spirit and every evil and wicked person who has ever lived. However, I am not greater than them. I am not greater than the devil. I am not stronger than the devil. My God is. So how can I overcome it? Only through God. When those men looked and they said, it's a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, they were right. It was a dangerous land full of giants, full of walled cities like Jericho. Amen. Full of big and dangerous and scary things. The difference is, Caleb was an overcomer and they were not. Caleb did not say there are no oppositions, there are no dangers, there are no problems. He said, the problems are no problem for our God. Amen. So this morning, I, I want us to look at Caleb and to consider this thought of how that we can be an overcomer. How can you be an overcomer? How can I be an overcomer? Because here is the truth. Jesus said it is absolutely impossible, but that offenses shall come. It rains on the just and the unjust. There are good days, there are bad days, and there are days in between. That's just a fact. But either way, we can be overcomers. Amen. Let's look first at Caleb's selective hearing here in this passage we read in verse number 30. It says, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses. We see here that in the midst of all the talking, in the midst of all the pontificating and all the, the, big, the big speech given by these ten spies who are here to convince God's people that God is not going to give them the land He told them He would, Caleb stands up before Moses. He looks at him and he stills the people. He was durable. We're looking at Caleb's here, what he had. The first thing that he had is he had selective hearing. Amen. He was able to stand and endure anything that anybody else had to say without wavering. Now I can tell you that is not easily done. 
Think about it with me. Think about those ten men, how they began to stand up and to speak, and they spoke ill. It said, it said very plainly in the verse that they gave an evil report. They gave an evil report. That is, that, that's not mincing words about it. They had one thing to say. It's bad. It's evil. We can't go. Don't go. Where? To the land that God promised them. They're looking at it all wrong, and they've begun to give a, a, an evil report. And let me just tell you, you know, we, we think ill of the children of Israel, and I mean deservedly so sometimes. They are very petty, and sometimes they're very wishy-washy. And I understand all those things that we read through this part of the Scripture, how that they, they went away from God, and they, they made mistakes. But let's not act like we're better. We are all human. And that day when those 12 spies came back, and they came carrying the giant clusters of grapes and the pomegranates and the figs, and they started talking about the milk and the honey, Everybody in the congregation was hanging on every word. And they were thinking, when do we get to go? But then the report took a turn. And as the report took a turn, what was happening is those ten spies who brought an evil report began to turn the heart of God's people away from the very thing that God wanted them to have. They were literally giving evil to God's people. An evil report. And they were turning them away from what God's man was saying. Moses, that's the whole reason God called me out in the wilderness with a fiery, with the burning bush and brought me here was for this moment. And they're saying, nope, can't do it. They're turning the people's heart away from Aaron, who was backing up Moses. They're turning the people's heart away from God altogether. And pretty soon they're going to start saying, man, I wish God had just let us die in Egypt. Really? They're turning their heart. And meanwhile, there's a man standing there. A man by the name of Caleb who is durable. He can stand up and not only did he defeat any discouragement in his own heart because the same thing that they saw, he saw. He didn't come back and say they're lying. He never said that. He saw the giants. He saw the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites. He saw all of them. He saw their great cities. But he did not allow his heart to get discouraged. He held on and he held on and he overcame his own discouragement. And what he did is he stood and he stilled the people. Now in this moment, right here in verse number 30, there is, a, there is a teetering on the edge of a knife. Because the ten have started to talk about how big and bad all the bad guys were. And he stopped them. And he stilled the people. And they all hushed. He stilled them. And then he spoke. And he said... Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Not only was he durable, but he disagreed. They're saying, it's so bad. They're so scary. They said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. In verse 31, but what's Caleb say? He stands up and he just disagrees. Now let me ask you a question. Caleb spent 40 days out in Canaan with these 12 men. Now, I don't know if they were all together in one group the whole time they were out or if they split up at times. I don't know all the details because the Bible doesn't give us all the details, but I can tell you this. If you're out in a land where giants live who hate you and there's only 12 of you for 40 days, you get to know each other. Not only that, but you have to trust one another. Amen. Any of you all who ever served in the military, 
know that if you are in a foreign land, your soldiers, your, your, your compatriots are the ones who have your back. You're in enemy territory. you got to have somebody you can rely on. And the only people they could rely on were each other. So regardless of whether they had all the same opinions or the same thoughts or liked all the same things, they had to trust one another, and I guarantee you it built some camaraderie between the 12 of them. How could it not have? And yet here stands Caleb, and now we know that Joshua is an exception. He's not mentioned by name in, verse, in chapter number 13, but he is in chapter 14. But here's Caleb. He's an older man. He's a man of, of some authority. He's in his 40s, I believe, at this time. So he's not like a young, young child, right? A young, young man. He has some, some, he has some honor and some respect to his name. And he stands up and he disagrees with who? With his own brethren. These guys who've been watching each other's back for 40 days out in the wilderness, they're all saying one thing and he is not afraid to stand up and say the other thing. Because why? Because he is on God's side. Even when his own brethren turn their back on the Lord, he won't. That takes a strong man. That takes a strong will. A strong man or a strong woman to stand up and stand up for God and what God has said when the whole world or even maybe, God forbid, even some of the brethren are saying the opposite. They're saying there's no way forward. It takes strength to stand up and say, I disagree. But he did. He was determined. And he said, let's go up at once and possess it. Now let me ask you a question. Why would Caleb be willing to stand up and disagree with his own brethren, be willing to overcome the, the, the discouragement that would rise up in his heart? What was it that kept pushing him forward during this whole time? I told you he had selective hearing and his ability to shut out those things that would tear down his own heart. But why? Why did he have all that? Why was he so determined? In Exodus chapter number 3 and verse number 8, the Lord speaking to Moses said this, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and they gave an evil report of it, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Now that's what God said about it. It's the same thing they said about it. But look at the next part. Unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. God said that. When? Back in Exodus chapter 3. Before they even got out of Egypt, before the plagues were sent, God said, I'm sending you to the house of the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Hittites, all the ites. That's where you're going. So why are all these ten spies now standing up like, well, we didn't know there were going to be all these bad guys in the land? When God told Moses way back before, that's exactly what's going to be going on. Amen. In Leviticus chapter 20, God said in verse number 23, You shall not walk in the manners of the nation which I cast out before you, speaking about those evil Gentile nations, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. Verse 24, but I have said unto you, ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. Why would Caleb have been so determined to press on and overcome 
all of those wicked men and wicked nations out there that everybody else was so afraid of. Because God said He'd give it to them. He was determined because God said, I will take you to that land and I will give it to you. The problem with the ten spies and the problem with the whole congregation which began to tremble and shake in their boots is they did not see it that way. They didn't understand that God was going to bring them there as He had by taking them over the Red Sea, feeding them manna from heaven, not letting their shoes or their clothes wear out, guiding them by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. I mean, miracle after miracle after miracle. He has brought them there, and now He is ready to, with His other hand, take it and give it to them. And what are they saying? We cannot do it. You can't do what? Caleb's thinking. God's going to do it. Why is he so determined? Because God's going to do it. You think you're going to do it? No. That was never the plan in the first place. We're well able to overcome because God is going to go before us. Amen. That's why Caleb was so determined. God was going to do something. The reason that Caleb was an overcomer is he had selective hearing. He had the ability to close out the ears of those who are constantly naysaying. Can I tell you, naysayers are never shown in a positive light in the Bible. Amen. The Savior's, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Caleb was able to overcome because he had selective hearing. He was overcome because he had the Savior's help. In Numbers chapter 14, we'll read quickly here. I was going to read, I won't, we won't read the whole part here. The first, we'll just understand that it says in verse 1, they wept and cried, they wept all night. They cried and lifted up their voice and wept. They wept all night after that bad report. I mean, they're, they're distraught, they're depressed, they're upset, and they begin to murmur against Moses and Aaron. It said, they said, would God we died in the land of Egypt, or would God we died in this wilderness? We'd be better off dead than standing here outside of the land that we want to have, but we just can't have it. Moses and Aaron are so upset, we understand it. They talk about how they brought them out there. God's brought them out there. They've led them out there. The Lord has brought them to take their wives and their children to be prayed for their enemies. Would it not be ready for us to better to return into Egypt? And they're, they're saying, let us make us a captain. Let's return to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron, in verse number 5, fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And in verse number 6, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. We see first they were unhappy with their people's reaction. They rent their clothes. The rending of their clothes was an act of sorrow and outrage on God's behalf. That's what it was. They rent their clothes in a holy indignation at the sin of the people. So well, what sin were the people doing? Doubting God and disrespecting God's chosen leaders. Amen. They're going to get them a captain. They're rejecting the promises of God, and they have lost their faith. Amen. Well, yeah, God can kill Pharaoh and all of his armies with the Red Sea while letting us walk across on dry land, but there's no way he can take care of the Jebusites. They've lost their faith. They have lost their trust in God, and they've sinned. And because they've sinned, Caleb and Joshua step up. They see Moses and Aaron falling on their faces before God, no doubt praying, seeking help. And they step up and they rent their clothes. They, they tore their own clothes as an act of outrage and anger and, and sadness and fury uh, in a holy indignation at the people. It was a holy dread of the wrath of God which they saw ready to break out against them. You know why Caleb and Joshua, one reason they were so quick to rent their clothes and to, to try and do something to get the people's attention. First, they, they wanted to go to the promised land. 
And they believed God, but also because they knew that God was a God of judgment. Had they not already seen the judgment of God? Amen. They didn't want the wrath of God to come on their people. They were unhappy with the people's reaction. They were understanding of the Lord's intention in verse number 7. And they spake unto all the company, the children of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to search it, it is an exceeding good land. That is a very different thing than what the ten spies said. We saw back there that it said that they gave an evil report. But what is Joshua and what are Caleb saying? It's an exceeding good land. Y'all are focusing on that little negative when it is an incredible land. They're looking even at some things that, that they're looking at some things as a negative that are actually a positive. For example, the walled cities, the great cities. God's going to give them those cities. Amen. Understand? It's great. It's good. This is a good thing. God is going to give us this land. They understood God's intentions. Like Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. That God had a plan to give this great land to His people. And here they are, close enough to literally taste it. they got grapes and pomegranates. And they're saying, we just can't do it. How many people have we seen in this Christian walk come right up on the precipice of what God wants for them and then just back away out of some foolish fear, fear of giving something up, fear of losing something, fear of change, fear of dedication, fear of something. Well, you know, I want God in my life and I want to get right with God, but I don't want to go that I'll go right up to the Kadesh Barnea and I'll go right up to the edge of Canaan, but I just don't think I can go all the way in. But that's what God wants for you. He don't want you to live on the fringe your whole life. That is not a fulfilled Christian life. He wants you to trust Him and go where He wants you to go. Do what He wants you to do. Step over and you'll find that it is a land that flows with milk and honey. Amen. They were unhappy with the people's reaction. They were understanding of the Lord's intention and they were unwavering in their determination in verse number 8. If the Lord delight in us, then He will, what did I say before? He will bring us into this land with one hand and He will give it us. Caleb and Joshua had a firm understanding of what God was going to do. And in spite of the fact that the whole congregation of Israel was foaming at the mouth, crying and screaming all night, saying Egypt was better than this, threatening to get them a captain and return to Egypt, turning against Moses, turning against Aaron, turning against God, they stand up, they rent their clothes, and they say, Stop! God wants to bring us in and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey, an exceeding good land. He will bring us into the land with one hand, and He will give it to us with the other. In spite of everything that was going on, they were unwavering because they understood this very simple truth. They could not take it. They could not defeat those evil people. But God could. They could not win and take the land of Canaan, but rather God would have to take it and give it to them. Which was what 
he intended to do from the beginning. All they had to do was believe him. Unfortunately, they didn't. We don't have time to go through and read it all, but we know you've all heard or read and studied and heard it preached, and you know how things go. They refuse. And then God becomes angry. They pleaded with them, Rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear you the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Moses. And God becomes very angry. He condemns them for provoking Him, and then He makes this determination. That everyone over the age of 20, their carcasses would fall in the wilderness. With one exception. Caleb. Joshua was a young man, to dispute exactly how old he was either way. But Caleb, over, over the age of 40, Caleb is an exception. Why? Because he believed the Lord. He followed the Lord with a whole heart. And now, the rest of them, it's interesting, isn't it? Forty years in the wilderness. Forty days in Canaan. God is going to take these children of Israel and they're going to wander around in a circle in a dry desert land eating manna until they're about to choke on it. And then they cry for quail and then they choke on that. Until every one of them who was there that day over the age of 20 that said, we cannot go, wanted to go back to Egypt, wanted to stone stone Joshua and stone Caleb, God said, your carcasses will fall in the wilderness. And they did. What a shame. For all of them. Amen? But Caleb, though, see, Caleb was an overcomer. And he was an overcomer because he had selective hearing. And he was an overcomer because he had the Savior's help. But in Joshua chapter number 14, there's something we understand about Caleb that is particularly important. And that is that he had a strong heart. That in spite of all the opposition that he faced, he pressed through it every step of the way. And in Joshua chapter 14 and verse number 6, now all those years have passed, 40 years in the wilderness. All those people have died who rejected the word of the Lord there at Kadesh Barnea over the age 20, except for Caleb. Even Moses has died. And now Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the land, the promised land. And in Joshua chapter 14 and verse number 6, it says the children of Judah, and I told you before that Caleb was of the tribe of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swear on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, 
I am this day fourscore and five years old. Hmm. Fourscore and five years old. Caleb is now 85 years old. He's not a young man. I mean, he has now reached, I'm sure he has grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren. Forty-five years since what? Since the day he stood in front of all his brethren and said, we are well able to overcome it. And guess what? For 40 years, for 45 years, while he was watching all of his peers drop dead in the wilderness, he never gave up on God. That's a long time. I'm 36 years old. So I haven't even seen 45 years yet. But he wasn't 45, he was 85. He was a 40-year-old man when God made him the promise. And he, wait, he lived another 45 years, doubling his days on the earth before what? Before he saw God answer his promises to him. Can we agree that's a strong heart? Can we agree that is an exceptional man who was not only willing to put his faith in God, but then for 45 years to hold on to that faith? Here's what he said. He said, the Lord has kept me alive. Why do you think God did that? The same reason God allowed him to come into Canaan, not his brethren. Because he wholly followed the Lord. He was, he, we see his strong heart is present in his waiting, that he waited 45 years to see the promise of the Lord fulfilled. I mean, I dare say, many of us are ready to throw in the towel after a couple months, amen? Myself included. I mean, sometimes I'm ready to throw in the towel after a few days. God, how long is, are we going to have to wait on this? All right? I mean, it's been six months, right? Let's be honest. How do you think Caleb felt walking in a dry desert circle for 40 years? Think he ever felt, this isn't fair? My son loves to say that now. It's not fair, it's not fair. It's not fair. You think Caleb was walking around kicking rocks? God, it's just not fair. I followed you, I did what was right. Why do I have to walk around and watch all my friends and family die? No. Why? Because it tells us he wholly followed the Lord. His strong heart is apparent in his waiting and his strong heart is apparent in his wholeness that he did not just follow the Lord, but he wholly followed the Lord. He said, the brethren that went up with him made the heart of the people melt, but I, I wholly, wholly, that means completely and utterly, with all I have, I followed the Lord. I have gone with the Lord, I've stuck with the Lord, I've followed the Lord, and I am not going to give up on following him now. In Numbers chapter 14, way back when God passed that judgment, he said, surely... They shall not see the land which I swear to their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Doubtless he shall come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. So we understand quite clearly why God was going to give Caleb his promised land. Why? Because he followed him fully. Wholly. That means he followed him holding nothing back. His strong heart's present in his waiting and his wholeness and 
Then finally in his working. Verse number 10. Here in Joshua 14. And now, he said, I'm, I'm 85 years old. I've followed the Lord. And that land that the Lord promised me, he said, now I am this day fourscore and five years old. In verse 11, as yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Who? This 85-year-old man. Now, I would say this. It is outside of the biology of a human being to be the same strength and health as they are at 85 as they were at 40. 45 years will do something to you, right? Amen. You know what he said? I'm as strong today for what? Going out and coming in and even for going to war. And he said, and if the Anakims are hanging out on that mountain that God promised me, God will go with me, I can take them. Amen? Amen. You know what he said I'll do? I'll work for it. When? After 45 years of waiting. After 45 years of waiting to get the thing that God wanted him to have, he said this, I'm willing to work for it now. I'll get up and go right now, and I will put a whooping on those Anakims if God will help me. Amen. I think his sword arm was itching for a fight. Why? Because this is a man who was an overcomer. Faced with insurmountable odds, with time against him, with the support of his brethren against him, with the enemies of God against him, he said, this is no big deal for my God. This morning, can I tell you, we are certainly living in a time where it is easy to look out around us and say, there's giants in the land. Amen? We be not able. It's easy to say, well, we just, we, we, can't go, we can't go out and witness to people anymore. You know, things have changed and people reject it, and, which is just no point. We can't, we can't live this type of lifestyle for the Lord anymore because people won't accept it. Or we can't preach the Word of God here anymore. We can't do this anymore. We, we just, we can't do it. But here's what Caleb said. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. We can't do it. It's the Lord. I'm 85. But if the Lord will go with me, I'll go up on that mountain and I will drive out the enemies of God. How? Because it's the Lord. And if we will just wholly follow the Lord, then there is no telling just what God might do with a group of people who are not only willing to trust Him, but who are willing to wait on Him, who are willing to wholly follow Him, and who are willing to do the work it takes that God wants us to do. That's how you be an overcomer. Shut out the naysaying, shut out those who would say, no, 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 and say, if God says yes, then it's a yes. Amen. And understand that I can't do anything by my own strength, but if I have the help of the Savior, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And not only that, but we understand this very simple truth, that if we are going to serve God in a dangerous land surrounded by giants, we're going to have to have a strong heart. Sometimes we want it now, and we'll have to wait. 
But when the time comes, whether it's waiting or whether it's working, we have got to follow God and we've got to do what the Lord said. We've got to walk with God. We've got to go for God. And we cannot let the naysayers stop us from achieving what God wants us to achieve. We cannot let the naysayers stop us from receiving what God wants to give us if we will just follow Him fully. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? So what are the, those are real things. Distress and persecutions and peril. Famine. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37. Nay, in all things... We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know what the trial, the danger, the peril is in your life, but I know this, we are more than conquerors. We can overcome anything that this world throws at us if God will be with us. Amen. I don't know what you're facing, I don't know what your trial is, I don't know what your temptation is, I don't know what your fear is, but I know this, we live in a fearful land. That's not the point. The point is that we have a mighty God. Are you willing to follow Him fully? You want to overcome that sin in your life? You're going to have to follow God fully. You want to reach that unreachable one in your life? You're going to have to follow God fully. You want to see the perfect will of God in your life? You're going to have to follow God fully, even if it means waiting. Amen? Will you be an overcomer? Let's all stand. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon. And we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.